Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You said it, uh, QFest Money does start right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, in for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are, already did the nicknames, I can't do it again. Tim Seymour, Carter, I got to do this one, Carter, big net worth. Steve, <laughs> cut the grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, uh, the market sitting in correction territory as the S&P 500 tracks for its worst year since the financial crisis. And one of Wall Street's biggest bulls says the bottom isn't in yet. Plus, as volatility spooks investors, one of Fidelity's top retirement experts says people are making a huge mistake when it comes to managing their 401ks. She'll be here to tell us what that mistake is. But we start with a big turnaround uh, for stocks today, and it could be thanks to none other than Apple. Check this out. Things were ugly this morning. The Dow sinking as many as 500 points uh, at the lows of the session, while Apple is down 3%, under $800 billion in market cap then. Suddenly, a reversal of fortune. Apple making a sudden comeback midday, and it took the rest of the market with it. The Dow closed up by more than 30 points. It, it tried to get above that. It was up 70 or 80. Uh, and the NASDAQ at one point was up 1%, but it ended up uh, not bad, up about 50. So what was behind the move? Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with more. It was midday, and it was, I mean, on a chart, it, it just spiked. What the heck happened, Josh? Joe, so as you mentioned there, Apple was in the red this morning. A Chinese court issued preliminary injunctions against the sale of older iPhone models, saying Apple infringed on patents held by Qualcomm. But then, as you mentioned, Joe, the stock started to make a move higher. During the halftime report, when Jim Cramer and the traders were talking positively about the stock, take a listen. This could be a meaningful turning point in the stock today, right now. Here's the situation. The stock opened at 165, got down to a low of 163.33 this morning. Um, the high was 168, uh, 166.88. So now you're back at 165. The buyers came in where they should have. They're acting as if the 11 billion in Chinese sales this uh, previous quarter uh, is going to evaporate next, yeah. and that there's going to lose 40 billion dollars in sales. And I just don't think that you can get a, an injunction in some small province. Of course, their provinces are bigger than anything we have, but that is really derailing. If I have pictures of people buying them today. Apple ended the day higher after the company came out and said all iPhone models, in fact, remain available in China. Still, that stock is down more than 20 percent over the past three months as the street continues to worry about iPhone unit growth in the quarters ahead. As a result, we've seen analysts been busy slashing estimates. Just today, Citi joining in, maintaining its buy rating on Apple, but lowering its price target to 200 down from 240. Joe, back to you. All right, uh, Josh, thanks. So is the worst uh, over for Apple? And if it continues to rally, will the rest of the market uh, recover? What do you think, Guy? Well, first of all, welcome. Well, thank you. Oh, welcome. you weren't here last time. I was I not was here. here last. This is your second appearance on this CNBC's Fast. Second of, of hopefully many, 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 many. You better watch no, out. There's no. no sincerity in that many, many, many. You didn't mean any I'm of that. I'm here to, to, to help. I'm here to please. So your sure. question is, is the worst over for Apple? And if Apple can rally from here, is that augur well for the broader market? Am I correct? Is that the question you asked me? That is. It's pretty clear, that. guy. 
So I'm stalling for time. As I don't Tim know what you're doing. I'm not really We're stalling for time. So look, a couple weeks ago, I thought the worst was in for Apple already after President Trump tweeted about Apple getting caught up in the tariffs. If you recall, stock was around 173. It rallied from there north of 180. I was wrong. Steve actually thought we'd retest these levels. The level it traded down today to, I think, Josh Brown's point earlier today was the levels we last saw in April. So if nothing else, given it traded almost two times normal volume, you have something to trade against. And I do think given the fact that we've come down from 225, most, if not all, of this news about China's in it. So to answer your question in the short term, yeah, I think the worst is over for Apple. I think you got to ask yourself, though, is this why we traded down from those levels? And it's not the reason why we traded down. This is just the latest reason the market why, or why Apple. Should have Apple, specifically Apple. Well, so this is the latest headwind. I don't think it's over yet. But the other thing Flip. is that every other thing had bounced, right? Netflix has come off low, Amazon, Baba, so that Apple at some point was due for a bounce, it having not stopped going down. But Apple was the last one to be sold off. It's a a cycle, and we're probably through the cycle, at least on an intermediate basis. So it's not as simple that if you loved it when it was a trillion and 50 billion, why don't you like it now? Why can't you like it now? Because if if the story's over, if you... No, no, no. The story's not over. The idea of why it sold off was that we reached some sort of a peak in iPhone sales, and ASPs weren't going to be enough. No, I know. I know. To carry Can I, let me jump in here because, because to me, nothing has changed in Apple's story over the last two months. And and to be consistent, um, you have to like Apple as much today uh, as you did two months ago, with the exception of possibly today's news is certainly different. I, I don't think you know. I think the trade dynamics are very much the same. You take 10% off of shipments from Apple, and actually you're still around you know 200 200 units, 205 uh, over the next couple of years. That takes about 5% off of sales. Still takes you 12 bucks a share next year, which right. makes you somewhere less than 14 when times. But what, what has changed is not the guidance, though, Tim. So that changed. They, they're not giving guidance. So that spooked everyone out of it. So are I don't they like that either. I don't like that either. But, you know, Apple to me is the one company that if I'm going to give somebody a pass on this, right. comes down to this. Uh, iPhones traded roughly 14, 15 times. Services traded 26 times. Also, this assumption that the installed base starts to evaporate. If we were so excited about services three months ago, we should be more excited or as excited today when you as on black friday when you go into the place and there's all the big sales do you ever, the stuff you really want is it ever 30 percent no. off 40 percent off no it's, it, i mean apple was the the bell of the ball so you really want to get it cheaper than 20 percent off See, i, I mean, think how, how so, does that happen? i mean i think it, it's interesting i think it is a i think the news that they were no longer going to give guidance for the hardware sales was actually a good thing obviously the market didn't think so but if they're making the turn from a hardware company to a services company well they want you to think that they want you to think that and maybe they knew this qualcomm news was coming down maybe there are a lot of things going on but with that said the move from 230 ish to 165 today you wonder how much of that if not all of it is priced is it in, in the charts Cor? can you tell me what's going to happen we're going to try to figure that out Really? Yeah, maybe we go over and look at a few. You're going to get up and do that. You're sending them over? How about I had is, no, is he I being had, banished to the board right now? I had is no it, idea. Is it, this is early it, in the show? Is it, is you can do that? You can do that? He's up now. He's, he can't. Here we go. No, no stop quick ever done this on Squawk. No stop No. We go to the chair. Here's the last two years. Apple, no drawings, no lines, no judgments by me. And what we do know, of course, is that Apple has a fairly major break in trend. So... Taking a look at this chart with the trend line drawn, what you'll see is, well, I'll draw it here myself. Take a look. We have a well-defined trend. Literally, we've connected these lows. And we have broken from 
these well-defined lows. But at this point, having been so precise for so long, we're so far below that I think we kick back here a bit, right? And that we actually throw back towards trend, which is often the case. Um, further, there's a lot of support right here where we've sold off. So the idea here is at this point, there's the trend line, there's the break, and so after plunging, you can typically get a throwback. The throwback doesn't fix the situation per se. It's a trade more than saying apples out of the woods and all-time highs coming, because I think those highs will stand for a long time. But you'd rather be long here, I think, than short. Let's look at a few things that uh, are important. So this is over the past, well, past decade, the past bull market. We've had big drawdowns, right? We drew down 45%. We drew down 33, and this is now 30. And here's the interesting thing. This bottom chart is relative performance to the S&P. Actually, relative performance peaked um, back in 11-12, and Apple has not been such a good performer. What we do know, though, is this, that it has responded precisely over and over and over off this relative line. And I think that's exactly what we're setting up for here, and that actually Apple is a better bet than the market overall. Let's look at the market and a few things about that. Um, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a really bad year. I mean, it feels like unch, but it's not unch. Forget all these things. Look at this. The Russell 3000, 98% of the investable capital. We are down. The median stock is down 9%. That's the true story of the market. And what we know is at this point that there's every possibility, frankly, that Apple is a better bet than the S&P. In terms of the sub-industry groups, take a look at the numbers, look at the ratio, numbers up versus down within the S&P. And so it does get down to the question whether at this point you want to make up this volatility, this does not make people want to come into the market. When you go down 8% and then rally, and then down 7%, then rally, then down 8%, the problem with this is this kind of volatility doesn't induce people to buy stocks. It makes them want to back away from stocks. So if I put in the up moves, there they are. Next chart. And this basic circumstance is what I would characterize as spasms, ultimately, that resolve in lower prices. I'd rather do Apple here than the market. Uh, this is the kind of thing that makes money want to get out, not in. But can he come? Well, no, can, can he come we, back we to the desk? You know what, can I he come back him to May I ask him a question? Well, first? yeah, but we're going to invite him back. No, I like I it when he's there. Then, right, maybe then let him do it over hey, there. Hey, big fan of your work, as you know, Carter. Now, the oh, trend line that Apple broke to the downside, what does it need? What does Apple, the stock, need to recapture? Understanding that over time, the level that it needs to recapture gets higher and higher. But where does it need to recapture to break out back I mean, you've got to get back. You've got to get back at least uh, 10%. It would be back to these tops from which it broke out. So you have the well-defined tops, yes. You have, that's also the trend line, you have this breakout. And then this undershoot of the line, you should, in principle, make it back to level. So that's about uh, 6 to 8% from where we are today. It's close. Beautiful. All right, so come back. So, Carter, you saw the, uh, I mean, you played right into that lead story in the Wall Street Journal today. You saw it, I guess, right? Lead story in the Wall Street Journal yep. was nobody's buying the dips because right. and that, that would explain well, it. But, I mean, that looked like a good pattern until we broke the lows, well, didn't it? You mean it the like, back and filling? Yeah. Well, the problem with that is it's, it's that that occurs after the October plunge. So it's the worst October in a decade. And then 
that there's an adage, sharp indecision is resolved sharply. There's a big debate going on. Is this something to take advantage of, or is it weakness to stay away from? In principle, after a drop like that and a break of a, of a multi-year trend, it's not the buy the dip. It's the something's changed, and well, you should de-risk. And something has very much changed. And again, I, I would look today to two things that are somewhat conflicting. You had the SMH, the semis, which to me led all of this down in the middle of the summer. And actually, semis, before the market actually realized, rallied back, semis actually were up. And semis, you know, on this zigzag that Carter's been pointing out, have been semis have been making about? slightly higher lows. Um, I would also argue that the 10-year bond, uh, ultimately around 280 to 285, if we don't hold that level, it's a very scary time for markets. But there's nothing that happened today, and we're not going to resolve, I think this is what Carter's saying, we're not going to resolve the last three months of pain and volatility. And that's six moves of roughly six to seven to eight percent up and down. Doesn't make anybody feel terribly good. So uh, today's a nice day uh, for people that thought we were going to break. We've tested 2,600 six times on the S&P. Why do we need to stop testing? I think we need to keep testing. You need to test the February lows at 2,532, and let's see if that holds. And today was a pretty good attempt at doing it. I thought we were going to do it today, actually. But they never forced them down Right, which means we never that get in capitulation. Every time you come down, right. there's someone stepping in. You really want it to be to the point where people don't want to buy, and there's still an appetite for buying. And that's what keeps stealing the heart of the market, because you're playing around with 200 handles in the S&P from 2,600 to 2,800, sucks everyone back in, and then takes it right out. So I don't see a lot of volume behind these moves. So people that have been beaten up, aren't playing the market. People that are sitting on a profit aren't playing the market. So we're sort of in no man's land right now until the market has that definition. I think that's right. So it's not technical. Let's bring it back just just to talk about secular and cyclical and all these things. Are we still in a a secular bull? We're we're diddling around with the correction. Are we diddling around with the correction still to get a real correction? Every single country had a PMI over 50. The last time that happened was 2007. Okay. So 2007 was a market peak. This beginning of the year was a market peak, and yeah. we've never gotten over that. We've been struggling with the blow-off top. That January move was the highest weekly RSI reading ever recorded in the S&P going back to 1927. With record inflows into ETFs and the spiders and iShares, that kind of excess isn't worked off easily. And we're still, almost a year later, contending. Although we had a record nine-day RSI on the S&P uh, probably six weeks ago that we hadn't seen since the worst of the crisis. So to, you, right, but that's the crisis the versus the overbought was the worst since 1927. The yep. crisis is only at 10 years ago. That's getting to be eight well, years so ago. talking about the PMIs and talking about, look, the reality of the fundamentals are is Europe continues to get worse. We had Eurozone confidence, which is the weakest since December 2014. You've got these yellow vest protests in France that continue to get worse. The Italian budget's just a you know, couple you know, headlines away from being a very big deal. You've got ECB out on Thursday, and you know, they're talking about stopping buying at the end of this month, um, which, are, is that economy really ready for that? So uh, if you ask me if the global economy is getting better, you have terrible export data, out of China over the weekend or trade data. No, it's not. It's actually getting significantly worse. And that's something that this market was not paying attention to for a long time and now is, and I think that's appropriate. European banks still concerned. I mean, even with the news over the weekend about Deutsche Bank, Commerce Bank, still stocks down 4%, continues to make new lows. The Russell continues to make lower highs and lower lows. And I can't figure out, for the life of me, who has the better head of hair you, who looks like Barry Melrose today for whatever reason, or Joe Kernan, always has a great That's head. why they sat us together. You're doing, it, uh, you're doing it naturally, though, aren't I'm you? I'm out. I'm, in. I'm not even well, in no, this No, I, I put this wig on. No, no, no. I mean, you, you haven't, you know, 
do with the Propecia. I mean, Propecia. <laughs> you don't know what? Honestly? <laughs> I do, but it, no thanks. Oh, you don't want to talk about it? No, I don't have don't any. Don't be embarrassed. Don't want any. Don't be embarrassed. I mean, split I, screen, though, is there, uh, which, yeah, I, which yeah. is impressive. Dwyer. Nice split screen. Hey, are these yes, guys too Joe. bearish or what? Dwyer, they are. Where, right? where was bearish? We are talking they, about the marketplace. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, we'll see. We're going to bring the expert in in a little while. We've been talking about it. I'm going to go to this now. Is that okay with you, Amanda? I think I'm going to do this because it's 15, you said. Uh, anyway, we've been talking about the talking about the Dow's big re- uh, reversal today, and one of Wall Street's biggest bulls says we're not out of the woods just yet. He's going to tell us what could stop the selling. Plus, transports getting crushed ahead of the holidays as FedEx and UPS track for their worst December performance in years with oil at 50 bucks. Explain that. Uh, is that a warning sign for the consumer? And as volatility hits the market, a top retirement expert at Fidelity says there's one major mistake people are making with their 401k right now. So tell us here what that mistake is. We're live at the NASDAQ Times Square up on the second floor, um, not the first floor. Uh, so that means this is fast money and it's 5 p.m. I get it. Okay, more fast money still ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Transport's getting uh, wrecked this month. American and Alaska Airlines tanking 16% and 13% respectively, uh, while big delivery names like FedEx and UPS have been an absolute disaster. FedEx on track for its worst December in a decade. You can see it on a chart. just fell off. It looks like a, a, a double diamond slope out in Aspen. FedEx does from December 1st. Something like that. It, it, it does. does. I'm not kidding. While UPS is having its, uh, its worst December ever, uh, the transportation ETF, IYT, is now down over 8% this month. Is this a warning for the consumer? I mean, with $50 oil, does this make any sense other well, than a slowdown? I, I tell you what, Joe, I, I think what we're doing is we're obviously starting to price in the expectations of, of whatever the slower growth is for next year. But, but the reality is a 31% move off the high and a valuation here on FedEx that we haven't seen probably in 18 months uh, for a company that I think is executing. By the way, no one's bringing up this year that in the holiday season and during Cyber Week and whatnot, these guys have been as smooth as silk. In other words, execution this year, unlike the last couple of years, actually has been very strong for UPS and FedEx. I, I, I look at FedEx and I look at the TNT deal still being very creative. Um, I think this is a company that's as well run as any. I think the Amazon threats are overstated, frankly, to their core business, the final mile. I would be buying this stock at these levels. And it sounds like some of the threats to FedEx were specifically to FedEx, not to UPS. So when you have UPS that is, on a relative basis, outperform FedEx, I'd probably sit there because I think there's more shoes to drop, if you will, with FedEx. 
You have to wonder, though. I mean, it's not you mentioned the airlines during your little reader there, which, by the way, you did elegantly, I might add. It was really fantastic. You how weren't you did here that. last time, and no one really, I, I didn't Joe, really hear anything. See, Guy almost seems surprised by your execution. Oh, there's no surprise in my voice. Well, I don't know. It's Split them up right now. Get me and Seymour in a. Seymour, what was that? Seymour Butts. Yeah. Seymour Butts. Uh, well, we're rarely that split, guys. Simpsons, we're rarely uh, split up. My what point do you got? is this. That it's not just the, airlines. Yeah. It's not just FedEx and UPS. I mean, the railroads now haven't traded for, well and since, I would say, the last couple months. That has to give you pause as well. In terms of the consumer, something I bring up, I'll say it again. Yes, unemployment at record levels, consumer optimism record levels. But you get another couple weeks of a stock market uh, not being all that frothy. And you have to wonder if the consumer is going to be all that willing to spend in the new year. I mean, it's a handful of stocks that held it up, right? And we know it's a price-weighted index. And if you look at FedEx and UPS, you've got 20% of the index. Top five stocks are almost 45. And it's so uh, well volatile, as we know. It also has a perfect double top, right? It peaked in the beginning of the year. It tried to make a new high in September, failed. And it is the beta trade. So why don't we ask you, since you're here, what about the Dow theory? Are you? Are you Dow theory is lying well. Right. So sure. But what, remember, the, the, the transports, their, their relative performance in the market peaked in the mid-90s. And then in 15, we were so far ahead of the Dow, the Dow was lagging, that this is in many ways just a give-back trade with transports having performed, outperformed to such an extent that it was too far too fast. Hmm. All right. Um, the Dow seeing a, a, a point swing, 500 points. Uh, after the index dipped into correction territory. Is this a sign uh, that the selling is starting to dry up? Uh, top bull, uh, it sound good. Uh, top bull, Tony top Brock. Oh, okay, yeah, Top yeah, Gun will be here. Maverick. Plus, uh, saving face, the stock uh, soaring nearly 4% today after announcing big buyback plans. We've got those details. I'm Joe Kernan, and you're watching CNBC, first in business worldwide. Much more, people know me, much more Rough Fast Money still ahead tonight. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another wild day on Wall Street with a little bit uh, better outcome. There was a more than 500-point swing, and we closed up about uh, 30 in the green. The index is still down more than 4% this month. Bob Pisani is down at the New York Stock Exchange. Bob, I was looking at uh, the notes for what you were going to say at 2 o'clock, and I was saying, you know, uh, we, we got to change what you're saying it to. Things change for, for the better by the end of the session. 
there almost is a complete one-year trend in the market that you can go through in a single day today. That's how crazy <laughs> things are. So you're right. We saw a real nice bounce today because at the bottom, just around the European close, a large part of the market was seriously oversold. And not just oversold. A lot of it was already in bear market territory. It was just awful. You see the moves there on Brexit. You see the concerns there breaking through the October lows. And then the turnaround on the Apple talk in the middle of the day. The big problem right now are the banks. 23% off the 52-week highs. That's as a group. But the entire group is at new lows. Everything. Money center banks like J.P. Morgan and Citigroup, new lows. Regionals like Keycorp, PNC. It doesn't matter. They're all at new lows. Energy, down 20% right now. But deeper concerns in, look a little more deeper. Materials were down more than 20%. They bounced today. They're still down 19%. The industrials, communication services, technology, all down in the mid-teens. But because there's so many stocks in these groups, it doesn't really describe the extent of the damage very well. There's very deep, deep bear markets that have developed in many subsectors, and not much of a bounce, frankly. Oil service stocks, Halliburton, Schlumberger, they're 40% off of their highs. Home building stocks and construction stocks are down a third off of their highs. The metals and mining are also down uh, a third on global slowdown and tariff issues. And the same with the autos. The autos in the U.S. and Europe, it doesn't matter. And the dollar strength and slower global growth issues is also hurting emerging markets, particularly China, which is down 25% on the year. So where are we right now? The Russell 3000, which is just about the broadest index on the market, it's about 11% off its recent 52-week highs. That's, of course, market cap weighted. But the Russell 1000 equal weight index, this is the biggest 1000 stocks, all equally weighted, not market cap weighted, 12% off its highs. So it doesn't really matter. That's a pretty good gauge of where we are. And I, Joe, I know you saw earlier, a median stock is 9% off. It doesn't matter at this point. You can slice it. Average stock, median stock, uh, uh, market cap weighted stock. It doesn't matter. Everything's down about 10 to 12 percent. And Joe, you want to see how clueless the market is. Apple turned around today on not a lot of talk in the middle of the day about technicals turning around. And we did this right on our, our air at 12 o'clock. I think uh, that's a sign that the market really is looking for any kind of direction at this point and can be very easily moved. Back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. Uh, one of Wall Street's okay. biggest bulls. Uh, as we could see, a bottom as early as next week. Uh, Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity joins us now. So, Tony, I was trying to figure out, was it 20? You were probably sitting on the squawk box set 20 years ago, weren't you? It 22 was at least years probably ago? 22 years 22 ago. years ago. You said when I got on that that's last time I had hair, I think. <laughs> no, you, you got the same hair, haircut. You haven't lost Buddy, any hair. Bald is you beautiful. Lost... Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, it's shiny, but um, it's a lot of powder. Not with the makeup. Ran out of powder and makeup. No. Um, here's what I was singing. So I, where do you think the Dow was then? Was it about four or 5,000, oh, 6,000, something like that? It'd be my point. Okay, it doesn't so, matter. So let's... We're at 25,000 now. So that we've, we've been through a lot together in 22 years. The moral of the story is it's gone from four or 5,000 to 25,000. Now, where we are right now, this correction is, is gut-wrenching. Everybody's watching it. it. But if we know we're not going into the 70s, the 1970s, where 74, we ended up in that 50%, the most the gut-wrenching 70. thing anyone's ever seen. If that's not coming, if we're not falling off a cliff and we're now at 14 or 15 times earnings, do you get stocks more than 10 or 15% off their highs? Does it ever get better than that for people? Joe, it could, it could get a little bit worse, but it, as we saw today, it's impossible. Anybody that tells me that they can trade the daily movements here, or even weekly movements, is out of their mind. And you can see that because here's a great example, the tick index, which when you take advancing issues versus declining ish ticks on a given day, 
since the October lows, October 26th, October 29th, and last Thursday, you had plus 1,400 and then minus 1,400 on the same day. Basically, historic volume. You haven't had that for the prior two cycles ever. So you have seen historic volatility. That's a measurement in this cycle of when you're making what I call a shock drop, which we had in October. You had when the VIX rate of change, the 10-week rate of change in intermediate term indicator, Joe, spikes to 80. In other words, over the last 10 weeks, the VIX is up 80%. The way to, then you go into this terrible bottoming process. I call it demoralizing. It's like the opposite of love is and hate, it's apathy. It's when everybody's like, I don't care what Apple does, right? Because you're, you're so out of it. That's when you're set up for a collapse in volatility. You notice how every retest to down to 2,600 this, in the last month and a half, you haven't had the VIX really drop below 20? You haven't had that, okay, we're good to go. So for the viewers, I think what we try to do is educate as well as guide. What we look for are two things. You look for a reversal in the market that's big enough to drop that VIX 10-week rate of change down towards zero. We use 10 as our level. So it's still in the 60s. That's your indicator. That'll tell you that, okay, we've had a reversal that's good enough that the volatility guys are giving up on the higher vol, and you're good to go. And, and I'm sorry to go on a rant here, Joe, but when we started doing this in the early 1990s, we think this period's unique. Let me, I wrote it down because I want to make sure I get it right. Have we ever had a period where the president is under investigation by a, a prosecutor? You have Fed policy without it, uh, rate rises, without inflation that narrows the yield curve to under 10 basis points, with trade sanctions on the second largest economy in the world. Well, that would be January 1994. Janet Reno appointed a special prosecutor to investigate Clinton on the Whitewater. He had a surprise rate hike and a 9% drop in February, a retest December 6th before the FOMC meeting on December 19th that flattened the yield curve to seven basis points. And nobody, I haven't heard anybody that remembers this because I didn't until I read it today, is that you had a a trade sanction with Japan. Sorry. No, it's okay. But you had, it was called Super 301. We had unfair trade policies with Japan and Clinton put on trade sanctions with Japan. So bottom line, Tony, is you think this is a a world of of issues in our face and it's almost extreme. But why wouldn't that be a reason for more negativity ahead? I mean, everything you just said there doesn't seem ready to resolve itself. It it could be to me. And that's why I'm saying you wait for those indicators, that reversal on the S&P 10-week rate of change from a minus 9, where it's at now, to a minus 5. And a 10-week rate of change on the VIX goes from up at 80, where it was in October, to 10. Those are your signs for the viewers that don't want to play with the day-to-day volatility that, okay, over the last major corrections this cycle, it's been time to get back in. And capitulation, I mean, you don't think we've had capitulation. It, it sure, you know, we've been doing this as technical guys for a while, Carter. It sure doesn't feel like it. I looked at uh, earlier, somebody was covering the put call um, from Strategus. I thought that was pretty good. But, okay, we've all been doing this for a while. Has it ever paid to sell a down 10% tape when you're not in the purview of a recession-driven bear market. And if, if, it's, if it's not, no, a, if it's not a secular bear, if it's a yeah. cyclical bear. You know what's great, One Joe? thing you failed to mention, and, and I couldn't help think, it, if there, maybe there's collusion, Russia collusion, but if it's not, we're talking about another sex scandal with, with a campaign finance violation, which is what, you were talking about a sex scandal in 94. That's what, that's what that finally came down to, a blue dress, right? Yeah. I mean, it's bizarre that how you just went through some of the similarities. But, but then we have three straight years of 35% gains back in the 90s. And Tudor Jones covered it on CNBC today. He said if Andrew it went Russell. down, you see that? He said if it went down 10%, he'd be buying 
I guess another well, 10 maybe. Well, yeah, I, have to from here. Right. I had a different yeah. take on that interview. Yeah. My take on that interview was he said that he thinks that this next rate hike is the last one. That's what I was That happened ask. in right. 1995. You had a 34% right. gain. That happened in 2000. You had a 10% rally to retest the high. And that happened in 2006. You had another 20% to go before the recession. And again, I re- remember, if we invert the yield curve tomorrow, I know people are so sick of me with this. If you invert the yield curve tomorrow, the 210 spread, your median gain is 21% over the course of the next 18 and a half months with a recession not for 19 months. The only exception where it didn't work in the market peak first was 1973, where you had an oil embargo and a spike in inflation that made the Fed go nuts. So quick, I, just, I know we got, do you think then if the Fed, like Mr. Jones said today, if the Fed doesn't move in 19, that Fed put is in place? Will the market view that as weakness in the general economy right. and sell the market? In 1995, you had 0.5% GDP growth in the first two quarters of the year. The Fed raised rates February 1st of 95. Tape was still up 7%. It's the perception of what the Fed's going to do where you recapture your multiple compression that we lost because of the tariff stuff and because of the, the Fed. So, All again, right. you don't have to buy the next tick. You can wait for those two indicators. We're, cir- we're circling it. We're surrounding it. We've been most talking of the, about it. Uh, most of the interview was about income inequality and, uh, and the flaws in capitalism. Why do the billionaires always want to solve income inequality? It's, 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 it's amazing. It's out? amazing. And you don't want to be too skeptical and too dark about this. But it's amazing once you get there, you want you to put want up roadblocks yeah, for, for others other, to get there, uh, which is weird. totally ironic. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, TD. Thank, thank you. you. Good, good to see you, uh, TD Ameritrade. Uh, <laughs> anyway, good to see you. Financials closing at, I got a nickname from him already, closing at a 52-week <laughs> low today. Some traders are betting that there's more pain ahead. We've got those details. Plus, a top retirement expert says investors are making a huge mistake with their retirement accounts. Find out what that mistake is when Fast Money returns in just a couple minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at the shares of Facebook, up more than 3% today after announcing uh, some big buyback plans. Julia Borson. Uh, is not really up late at all, uh, like us. Uh, she has more um, at, out there in Los Angeles, where it's early, I, I'm told, Julia. That's right, Joe. Well, that announcement of Facebook share buyback was made late Friday, sending those Facebook shares higher today by more than 3%. Now, Facebook's $9 billion share repurchase program is on top of the $15 billion in repurchases that the company started back in 2017. Facebook stock, though, even after today's gains, is still down about 34% from its all-time high that it hit on July 25th as a string of issues around election manipulation, data privacy, privacy and transparency continue to weigh on the stock. But Facebook is actually the only positive stock among the FANG names since the beginning of December. Facebook's up about 1% in the past 10 days, while the worst performing of them, Netflix, is down near at least 6%. JMP Securities reiterating its outperform rating on Facebook in the wake of the $9 billion buyback, saying they believe the move, quote, suggests its underlying business trends across both engagement rates and advertising remain strong. Now, before the share buyback was announced on Friday, SunTrust's use of Squally wrote, quote, what's at stake is advertisers' willingness to continue to grow their spend on the platform, even in the face of these negative headlines. Going on to say, we do not believe such risk has materialized as the platform continues to perform well for advertisers from an ROI standpoint and user engagement remains healthy. Now, another factor weighing on the stock is concerns about regulation. Just today, Australia's antitrust regulator calling for measures to curb Facebook
Facebook and Alphabet's influence in both news and advertising. Joe, back to you. Thank you, uh, Julia. I, we're going to ask Carter what this looks like on the Trump. I, I just, I need, you, are you I'm on here. Facebook? I'm are here, you on let's Facebook? Call, let's talk. Are you on Facebook? I am not on Facebook. Are you on sir. Facebook? Do, do I have a Facebook yes. page? Yes, I do. do. you? No. Do you? No. That one person, only you. The yeah, hippest guy on the desk, though. That's right. not a surprise. Right. I mean, the there's someone that's speaking be, of hips. So yeah. we're going to talk about this like we know something, <laughs> but um, let's focus on the charge. Right. Right. Well, here's the. I mean, here's the issue. Yes, it's climbed back, but is is that the primary data point, or is the fact that it could drop 42 percent? And it didn't just drop that one day, right? It was the 26th of July. It was a Thursday, dropping more than any other stock in terms of market cap, 120 billion. I think those highs will stand if not a long time forever. But not only that, since that day, it was the big underperformer until possibly the last couple of weeks. And if I, if I look at where the street is on this, this is what to me is probably the most concerning thing. And, and I, I've, been, I've been bearish for a long time, so you're expecting a bearish comment, you're going to get one. Um, basically, we've taken the, the mean average price for the stock from 205 down to 195. So basically, they, they cut it by about five percent. Is that a big deal considering all this company has been through? I, I think the street is still way off sides on this. And, and do you want to stand in the way of what I think are eventual downgrades? Not me. I may but, join know, now to, to look at your vacation pictures. You, you look, I got great pictures on the Facebook. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a open Facebook. Why, why should, yeah, that's what it was at one point. Why should we not worry that their that privacy is is going to be free forever. Like, like, how do we know Europe do. doesn't come here for privacy? I mean, why is that not a concern? And just, it is a concern. Yeah, GDPR, look, the Europeans have always, rightly or wrongly, uh, you know, and this is a very debatable thing, and they're overregulated over there. But GDPR um, certainly has been a standard that will be adopted here. I mean, U.S. regulators are talking with these folks, and they're going to model something. Um, the bottom line is, though, I think the market has decided. I think the market decided on Facebook's management team a year ago. Even before the stock has been cheap relative to its peer group, growing at 30 percent. I mean, though, this pop that we've seen, I don't disagree with anything that's been said, but this pop that we've seen is just based on the corporate repurchase, which has been out it's there. The same pop has been out Baba there and everything. Else. Right. But, it, but it's been out there and it's a new conversation to be had. And people are trying to dig their teeth into something and they're using this as an excuse to try to pick a bottom in Facebook. All right. I, I don't know. I mean, you, how about, you know, I guess I, I should get off of MySpace and on Facebook. What do you yeah, think yeah. about? What do you, th- you, you have an Instagram page though? A guy no, like I you don't. could actually. I have really Twitter and I don't like it. I have Twitter and I think it's a cesspool. I, I, I don't, you know, it's just. Dirty I place. use it for a news feed. I use it for a news feed. But the people that are on it are like, where are these people? I, in the basement somewhere? I, I don't yeah. have. No, some of them are nice, but some of them are so it's, it's unbelievable. They're anonymous and they go, is this really? What do you think they're saying about guy on Twitter? They like that. I, I encourage. Like, I I engage. You don't block people. Never. That makes my day. No mutes. No blocks. Are you kidding me? I'm not. We were a likable guy, I guess. I yeah, don't know. Uh, no. Anyway, look at coming up um, this close. Kelly Evans quit, and she's so happy, so happy that she's uh, anyway. Coming up, it's been a volatile uh, few months on Wall Street. So, what should four hundred one k investors do uh, during these turbulent times? Our next guest has a few points. Uh, so, go grab a pen. Uh, and a piece of paper because you're going to want to write it down. Plus, bank stocks sinking again today, and some traders are betting that the selling could continue. Find out what has them uh, so worried when fast money returns. I'm just going to tweet something really quick. We'll be right back. Hmm. I think we're going to see a lot more of what we just saw, which is a lot more volatility. Um, you know, it's really easy to say I'm really bullish, I'm really bearish. I kind of see a two-sided market. I think in the next year we'll be, from where we are today, 10 down and 10 up. 
That was uh, legendary investor uh, Paul Tudor Jones warning that more volatility is coming. Uh, and unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know how crazy the last few months have been. So how should you manage your 401k retirement account during these rocky times? Well, our next guest says that uh, more than a quarter of savers are making one crucial mistake. Let's bring in Jean Thompson uh, for a fast 401k. She's senior vice president of workplace investing at Fidelity and joins us now from Boston. Uh, welcome back, Gene. And, and uh, I know what the one mistake is, but we've been talking about it so much that nobody else really does know, so you need to tell us now. Sure, yeah, happy to, Joe, thank you. Yeah, so the biggest mistake that people are making is that many are overweighted in equities. As you said, 25% are holding more equity. Some are even holding 100%. And in a market like this, you wanna make sure that you're well diversified. The um Normally, I'd say that, that you don't know how, how weighted you should be in equities unless you know the person's age. I mean, what if you, that's right. If you're in your 20s or 30s, I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's true that you can be overexposed, can you? Because over time, equities are the place to be, right? They are. And, and you really need equity for that long-term growth in the market. And for someone who's age 25 or just starting out in their career, you know, we really suggest about 90% equity. And that's okay. based on your typical target date fund. But as you get older, you know, as you get into your 30s, 40s, when you hit 45, we, you ratchet it down a little bit. And at that point, at 45, we recommend about 85% equity. No. As you get into your six, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that I think 45 is like the new 35, or actually probably really closer <laughs> than the new 30. Do we take that, uh, guys? You, you're all. I was going to say 25. 25. Uh, yeah, yeah. Guy, well, you're, to 25. You're, you're 50 is the new for you. It's the, the I hope 30. so. Yeah, I, I can only hope. Do we, do we grade it on the curve, Gene, or are we really doing uh, chronological age here? Because I, I, that, that's troubling to me. Yeah, well, you can grade it on the curve a little okay, bit. Good. So, you know, oh. as you, yeah, 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 yeah. As you get, you know, as you, through your 30s, you know, early 40s, still around that 90% equity. As you get to 45, you can do it down because 45 really is 45 when it comes to investing. Oh, okay. She's well, humoring us. Yeah, she, she, she should she be. Is, she way. is. She, yeah. she realized, oh boy, these guys are very insecure. Uh, you're right. Uh, so, yeah. if it's not stocks, uh, I don't know, bonds, 39% bonds, uh, what kind of bonds? I don't want bonds. Corporates? Can I get some high yields yeah. or something? I, I mean, government, I don't want a 10-year 260 government or 285 or whatever it is. Yeah, within most 401ks, though, it's mostly mutual funds. So you've got yeah. your bond mutual funds, and most really offer the intermediate bond fund. Um, that's the most popular within the 401k plan, for sure. So we, with what we've seen recently, what's your advice in markets like this for your 401k? Yeah, so within the 401k, it's much better to put time in the market than trying to time the market. Most people who are chasing the market will never catch up. And, you know, investing for retirement is a long-term strategic um, proposition. And so you really want to get a good allocation, to have a plan, stick with it, and not have a knee-jerk reaction with this market volatility. You know, I, we found in 08 and 09... Oh, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say, we... We found in 08 and 09 that many people who, you know, got out of equities completely, they didn't see the long-term growth, and they never made up for that lost time. All right, uh, Gene, we thank you uh, for, for the advice today, and uh, Fidelity is a, a place I might uh, certainly take that advice, but Guy, what, what's your take? Well, Gene, uh, I mean, she, she's been on before. She does a great job. My take is this. You know, if we make it to January, I say if because I don't take anything for granted, this show will be 12 years old. The show was created that we try to tell people what's going to happen tomorrow, a week from now, with varying degrees of success. 
That's what this show is based on. In terms of 401k, though, you can't get cut up in the day-to-day stuff. I mean, you shouldn't, be, in my opinion, you shouldn't be looking at the gyrations of the market on every 30-minute basis. So stay the course. That's exactly right. Have intelligent conversations, but don't be and sometimes, crazy. And sometimes you have to use it as a catalyst where you don't want to pull your money out and you don't want to pull your money out of equities and dive into bonds because you don't know if you're on time or you're missing the time. But if you feel like you're getting bargains, you can increase that, that donation into equities instead of pulling it out and trying to time the market. You're never going to do that. I would add to equities on dips for the longer term, depending on your age. The, the one thing I'd say about where we are right now, which has been very challenging for people for even six months now, is let's face it, fixed income was not doing well. And we're in a period where we've had this secular bull market in bonds. We've had five decades straight where rates have been compressed. And we have this argument that central banks are no longer in play and that we have this upward momentum on rates. That is something that's had bond vigilantes being, you know, I mean, it's, it's an argument why fixed income has been a more difficult selection in the traditional sense, because All frankly, right. it's worked. All right. Good. All right. Thank you, Tim. You know, Shatner, 88, 88 years old. Mm. Just, just a thought. Uh, anyway, if you think that. What, should uh, he have bonds in there? What do you think? Uh, Shatner should still be mostly stocks, mostly uh, Priceline, I think. Anyway, com- coming up, uh, it's been a rough year uh, for the big banks and one trader just bet more than a million dollars that the pain's going to continue. We'll bring you those details. Good luck, guys. Plus, what's Jim Cramer's take on the big yeah, market turnaround today? Stick around to find out. That uh, right at the top of the hour when Mad Money starts. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more fast money is still ahead. Some, some more. Not, not much. Not much. Welcome back to Fast Money. Financial stocks left out of today's big reversal. The XLF closing down about 1.5% at its lowest level since September of 2017 in the options market, one trader just made a million-dollar bet that the pain will continue. Mike Coe joins us now from San Francisco to break down the options action. T-Bone! T-Bone! <laughs> How are you, Joe? Yes, we did see quite a lot of unusual options activity in, in the financials today. What I was looking at was actually the KRE, which is the regional bank ETF, which traded well over two times its average daily put volume in a large trade that we saw in there was a buy of the January 50-47 put spread. Someone paid just over a dollar for 14,200 of those, so they're making a bearish bet on 1.4 million shares of KRE that could drop another 5 to 7% in just over five weeks from where it closed at the end of the day today. And I'd point out that a lot of the constituent stocks in the regional banks also saw significant options activity. We saw a lot in Regions Financial, Zion and BBT, all of them well above average put volume. That was from last time, Mike. Remember, nobody wants to be Coco. Remember, uh, they, they named George, he wanted to be T-Bone. And they said they called him Coco, and he didn't want to be Coco. So I'm, I'm giving you T-Bone. You don't want it? It's a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm good with whatever nickname you want to have. You're not on that often, so we might as well try to keep it fun. I'm good with whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Mike. For more options, action, check out the, the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. T-Bone coming uh, through there, huh? T-Bone. Yeah. Uh, up next, final trades. All right, time for the final trade, Tim. So, Joe, great having you tonight, by the way. Really great. Um, we Thank talked you. about transports during the show. You don't make a move without FedEx on a turnaround in the transports, and I think this company on valuation is the one. Carter. The iShares shy short-term bond ETF long. All right. Grasso. Closest thing we have to safety trade, XLU. Utilities stick with it until all's clear in the market. You know, Joe, 12 hours from now, 
Yes, You'll sir. be back on. It's amazing. Right down. Stamina. Right, right beneath here. It's, yeah. it's a tremendous job. Me and Santoli. Thank you. Twitter. Santoli and I. Trading well. Santoli and me. Back I don't know. Anyway, we'll be there tomorrow. Anyway, it's been a, a real slice. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, uh, everyone. That does it for us. Catch Fast Money again, 5 p.m. Eastern. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.